Welcome to By the Ghost Light, where we tell you what's going on in the theater world and our theater worlds. Cassie. Yeah. You just closed a show. I just closed a show. I did. I'm still in the... Congratulations. Thank you. It was a very successful show. I, I was sick two weeks before the show went up, like, very badly. Okay. I had a fever. I had chills. I had no voice. I went to the doctor. Not COVID, Not though, right? COVID. Well, my COVID test came back negative. I went to the doctor. I was told that okay. nothing was wrong with me, which, let me tell you, I knew was not true. Um, but we were so close to opening that I, I could not skip rehearsal. I went to rehearsal and I just sat very far away from all the children and I double masked and I told them not to come near me, but I couldn't cancel rehearsals. Like we were too close to the show. Um, but yeah, I closed, I closed our summer musical. We did the lightning thief. It was a very successful show. I'm still in the, like the period of sadness and recovery, but I, I am so proud of the show that those kids pulled out. And put on. You should be. I got to see it. Um, and hi, everybody. I'm Ryan. That's Cassie. Yeah. Hi. Um, I saw the show. Uh, it was very good. I really enjoyed it. Um, the way you guys used the space was great. We're going to talk about it. Uh, it's going to be most of the second half of this episode, but it's important to uh, bring it up now because it was also like, a, for, I don't want to call it like the, the debut of the show. I'm not even w- sure what the wording is. It's the first time the show has been performed in Northwest Ohio, right? Uh, to my knowledge, yeah. I'm not aware of other theaters in the area doing it. I know that there are other theaters in Ohio that have done it. Um, but the rights were only just released earlier this year. Like it's it's relatively new for people to be able to put it on. And so, yeah, we are one of the first in our areas to have put it on. We actually had a family come up from Columbus to see our show, not knowing. Well, it turns out they did know somebody in the cast, but they didn't know they knew anybody in the cast. They were literally just coming to see it because they wanted to see the Lightning Thief musical and they found out we were doing it. So they drove up from Columbus. All the way from Columbus. That's so cool. So, That's so yeah, cool. That That's was, probably not the farthest someone has traveled for an HYT show, but it's got to be up there. It's not, but it's the farthest someone has traveled who doesn't have a direct connection to one of our students. Let's talk a little bit about rights, because that'll be our opening number here. Rights are a funny thing, and we see so many different, uh, it, well, it used to be all of these different licensing companies, you know, everybody had three or four shows, and you had to figure out exactly how this company worked if you wanted to do this show, or we kind of saw the consolidation into MTI, um, and others like it, mostly MTI, um, and the junior musicals and everything. But I'm curious how the rights work for Lightning Thief because it's a show that, granted, I have not read it and I have not really paid attention to the Broadway version. I wanted to see your version first, but it doesn't seem like a show that was made for Broadway. It seems like a show that was created and written so that students across the country could perform this this show. So how do the rights work for all of yeah, that? Yeah, it was not written for Broadway. Um, it was off-Broadway originally. It did do a run on Broadway for, I think, three or four weeks. And one of the like theater community uproars with the pandemic is that the Lightning Thief and specifically Chris McCarroll, who played Percy, were technically eligible for a Tony nomination in mm-hmm. the like pandemic weird Tonys. And um, yeah. didn't receive one. And so 
there was only one nominated male lead actor that year in the category and he won the Tony. Um, but Chris McCarroll was eligible and uh, Percy Jackson fans were super angry that he didn't get a nomination. And I think rightfully so, because he had a killer performance. With everything going on with the pandemic, Tonys, you would think they'd try to get as many nominations in there yeah. as were eligible. I mean, you want them to be quality still, but come on, guys. Yeah, but no, this is not like your giant, big Broadway budget kind of musical. It's written and designed to be smaller it is licensed through concord theatricals and uh yeah so that's who holds the licensing rights to it um but their company like our kids are allowed to keep their scripts from the show they do have to turn in that's a that's yeah they do have to turn in their vocal scores but it's just so that they can destroy them like nobody wants Yeah, the vocal scores were just like paper it had our information on the top and they were all spiral bound you could write in them with pen or pencil you could highlight like you could do whatever unlike mti where like it's the same scripts that go out to multiple groups so you have to return them in as close to pristine condition as possible concord sure. theatricals yep. is just like we need them back get so out we those can... gigantic erasers Ugh, that's what erasing stage managers party. are for that's yeah, what strike uh-huh. is for no this one they're just sitting partially destroyed in a box in my living room and i just have to return them so that they can destroy them all the way for copyright reasons those were very much like our vocal scores for our production gotcha so one thing i don't know this the title of the show is the lightning thief yes it's not percy jackson and the lightning thief no the title is technically the lightning thief colon the percy jackson musical ah okay Gotcha. That makes sense. I guess that's fine. I guess they just want the search terms to have musical in it and be just different enough. Because it's based on the first Percy Jackson book, which is called The Lightning Thief. And sets up for a sequel. That would be a whole rights thing. Yeah, that that would, would be interesting. There are not a lot of theatrical sequels. I can only think of three. And that's an interesting topic that we can dive into in some future episode. Musical sequels. That's Musical a great sequels, future episode. Why they don't work. It's one of the things I really appreciate about the Percy Jackson musical is that it does clearly like introduce this larger conflict because you, there are at this point 18 Percy Jackson books. There's 18 of them? Uh, yeah, there are 18 books that are connected to the Percy Jackson universe. Oh, wow. And Percy is in okay. most connected to the Percy Jackson. Percy's in most is of them. What I was looking for because okay is because I remember I think the first one came out. I was like eighteen. Mm-hmm. I remember reading a couple, and I vaguely remember seeing the movie, but that was it. Like I was just aged out of it. Um, but I didn't work in the library like you do, so right. I wasn't connected. No, to it. fifteen of the books are direct storyline, continuous. Story. Um, you have the okay. five Percy Jackson books, and then you have the five Heroes of Olympus books, and then you have the five Trials of Apollo books. And those are directly connected in a, a linear storytelling thing. And then there's the okay. Magnus Chase books, um, which are the Norse mythology book, but they are connected. Annabeth and Percy do show up in the Magnus Chase books. So gotcha. there's tons. Okay. So it's all one it's world, all one, one world. universe. So there's tons of of Percy stories. And so, like, obviously, they're only going to try and tackle one book for this musical. And so they do a really good job finding the balance of making sure that this story can stand on its own and that you don't feel like you're like there's something else that's supposed to come after it. 
but also Mm -hmm. setting up like, hey, there is more to this story that you can go find and check out if you go read these books. We will continue talking more about Lightning Thief in a second. The last thing I want to say on this topic is that um, I was almost, almost expecting an end credit scene from, from the Lightning musical? Thief yeah. as I'm seeing it happen. Because they, they do enough setting up at the end of this story's not over, this story's not over, there's more to it, but we're okay right now. I was like, okay, this is nice. And then as bows happened and they were singing, I was just thinking in the back of my head, you know, it would be something if there was just another scene right now. Like if Zeus came down from his tower and there was just some some bit with him and Hades or something, it'd be great. I'll write the publisher and see about adding that on. Do it. Okay. Like, hey, could we just... Uh, we just need a little something extra. Just tag something on There's there. 18 books to well, pull exactly. from. Um, the dialogue's so already written. More. Yeah. It's all there. Just write the scene. Yeah. Little bit of music. Done. Perfect. So from the Great White Way to BroadwayWorld.com, let's talk about some of the things going on in the theater world right now. Um, I don't think we're really going to talk about the Tony nominations too much right now we'll talk about who wins after i'm sure i will say that you and i know somebody who is directly nominated for a tony we do it's pretty exciting uh, actually it is really exciting a friend of ours from college jimmy wilson um is very very deeply involved in the production of a strange loop yes and like good for him Good for him. He's Good out there Jimmy. living his best life. Yeah, we'll talk about Broadway wins, Tony wins when they're announced, which is coming up. But I think the biggest Broadway news um, on the table at the moment is that both Dear Evan Hansen yep. and Come From Away yep. have announced that they are closing and ending their Broadway runs. Yeah, one right after the other. Um, so I haven't actually looked. Do they close like the same day or? no. Dear Evan Hansen is closing like end of this month. Come From Away is going through October. Okay. There's just so much about Dear Evan Hansen that we could talk about from all of the good and from Ben Platt playing one role for forever and sticking with it and everything it went through in out-of-town tryouts and everything the show deals with and all of these things. All the way to Ben Platt um, refusing to give up the role and then the the movie that happened. Um. Mm-hmm. And everything in between. Uh, it's got some good music, though. It's got some real good music. It does have some good music. Pasek and Paul know what they're doing, and they know how to write songs that stand on their own really well out of the context of the show. They did it with Greatest Showman. Mm-hmm. They did it with Dear Evan Hansen. They know what they're doing. Yeah, they really do. Has it been announced what shows are going to replace them in these theaters? I don't think so yet. I don't think yet. Smash is my answer. Smash. I want Smash. Yeah, Come From Ways ending on October 2nd. It's the longest running show in the Schoenfeld Theater, which is kind of cool. And has multiple tours going, right? So yeah. that show's going to last a long time. Don't count on regional rights for that no. anytime soon. That shows, yeah, rights for those are not going to be available anytime soon. And uh, Jenna Coleman's returning to the role of Captain Bass for a little while. Oh, okay. Before it closes. Before it closes. Does it say Which when that awesome. closes? Because yeah. Dear Evan Hansen is the end of June. 
October 2nd. October 2nd. Thank you. But I don't see anything in this article, at least, about what is replacing it. Dear Evan, uh, I do see here, oh, Dear Evan Hansen will play its final Broadway performance on September 18th. Um, it will have run almost six years at the Music Box and will have played 1,678 performances, closing in the top 50 longest-running Broadway shows in history. So... I'm sure Come From Away is now in that top 50 as well. Because it came out, they came out about the same time. Yeah, because they were nominated for the same Tony season, and that's its own conversation. So we're not going to talk about the 2022 Tonys, but (laughs) we can go back and talk about the 2017 Tonys. I'm going to mention this first, and then we'll move on. Uh, The 2017 Tonys were hosted by Kevin Spacey. Great. Moving on. Yeah. Um, we love that. The the great theft of multiple Tony Awards that year. Dear Evan Hansen winning six, I think. I don't know, but it won Best Musical and it shouldn't have. No. No, it should not. So up uh, uh, musicals that it was up against... It was um, Dear Evan Hansen, Come From Away, Natasha Pierre, and The Great Comet of 1812, and Groundhog Day. So, you know, we all knew Groundhog Day wasn't going to win that. But Dear Evan Hansen won that, and I'm still not really sure why. Is it just because Ben Platt sounds good and looks good singing songs on late night shows? Yeah, I guess. He couldn't really do Come From Away on The Tonight Show. Come From Away is such a beautiful important wonderful show but look i'm still not over i'm still not over the 2003 tonys ryan where wicked lost best book best score and best musical to avenue q i'm still mad about that one you you have a problem with the uh r-rated sesame street musical I do not have a problem with the R-rated Sesame Street musical. I enjoy the R-rated Sesame Street musical, but it is not better than Wicked. No, it is not. That is a crying shame. And the fact that Stephen Schwartz still does not have a Tony? That's ridiculous. Is mind-boggling to me. He's going to get like a lifetime achievement Tony before he wins an actual Tony. (laughs) I think we were making this joke about Leonardo DiCaprio. Like he was going to get a lifetime Oscar before he actually got an Oscar. (laughs) Yeah. There's a picture book that came out this year. It's called B is for Broadway. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a lovely picture book. It's it's very inclusive. It goes through like the whole history of Broadway. Great. Um, and it's got like all these illustrations of famous figures, and there's like a gallery in the back where it tells you who all these people are that you've seen on the pages, and it has an entire double page spread. S is for songwriter, with like twenty different songwriters, and Stephen Schwartz is not on that page. Has he? not written anything good i guess nothing apparently not consideration it's like this is stephen schwartz erasure it is it's just it's just strange it's just strange and weird one of those things you know in a in a field is dominated by you know these big blockbusters which is a strange thing to think about but you know everybody's got to make their money and then we get the, this delightful, 
heartwarming show and come from away that is so important. Mm-hmm. But then if if that show's not gonna win, freaking Great Comet is something that had never been seen before. Yeah. And Josh Groban pulled it off so well. Also that year was uh Ben Platt won for Dear Evan Hansen, probably deservingly. But here's the other nominees. You ready? Uh David mm-hmm. Hyde Pierce from Hello Dolly. He played Horace. Andy Carl from Groundhog Day, he played Phil. Christian Borel was Marvin in Falsettos. And Josh Ooh. Groban from Great Comet. Probably deserved for Ben yeah, Platt, but probably deserved. What else did they win? They won Best Featured Actress because Rachel Bay Jones won for playing the mom for Evan Hansen. Okay. And uh, they won Score. And they won. What else did they win? And they won Book. Come from Away won Direction. Best Direction. Well, that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Best Orchestrations went to Dear Evan, Hans- uh, Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, and then a lot of the design stuff went to Great Comet, as it should. So Yeah, that also makes sense. So, yeah, the 2017 Tonys, that was a whole thing. Yeah, whole but I thing. can't wait for those rights to trickle down to our level can't wait to see some local theater companies try desperately to put on Dear Evan Hansen. That is going to be hard. Dear Evan Hansen is going to mm-hmm. be hard, not just because it's vocally demanding and you do it with eight people, yeah. like not just for those reasons, but so much of that show relies on projections. Like mm-hmm. that's not something you can do without significant budget and technical experience. Yeah, but you're going to watch people try. I'm going to watch somebody try once, and then I think I'm going to give up. (laughs) That's valid. I I can only watch so many bad attempts. I'm honestly more excited to see regional productions of Come From Away eventually when that becomes a thing. Um, It's way more accessible. Because, yeah, I think Come From Away has the same, for me, the same kind of, like, patchwork charm that the lightning thief musical does have which is you could tell when they're putting it together that they're thinking about the future of the show and how important it is for smaller groups to be able to do it so it's like they've got these 12 mismatched chairs that just keep getting rearranged to be Mm -hmm. all these different configurations like no, a lot of theaters, regional theaters probably can't have a turntable but like everything else that they're doing for come from away you can do yes everything in a is small everything setting. is regional level or lower like you can absolutely do that um it'll be really interesting to see but i also think that it'll be great to see people get to tell their 9-11 stories i mean 20 years later at this mm-hmm. point but that uh there's so many people affected by that obviously and maybe they've seen it or maybe they've had other outlets to tell their stories, but for people to play those characters and then people to sit in the audience and experience it, like it's just such an important story to be told. Should have won. Should have won. Should have won. And like, honestly, 
anymore, I am mostly entirely, I think about shows in terms of I want to direct that. Um, Come From Away is one of the few where I'm like, I want to perform in that. I want to be sure. There's a difference. There's a difference. There, yeah. there is. Like, I also would love to direct it. Don't get me wrong. I probably would never try to do that one with kids. I think that needs to be an adult show. Yeah, I would um, agree. But, but I, I want to be in Come From Away so bad. And that's one of my other favorite things about it is that the roles themselves feel like real people. Yes. Because they are real people. Yes. And so you don't have, like... They they poked fun at themselves in uh, some great promotional something that they did about like none of us are dancers and like it's yeah. not the kind of big Broadway stars that you're used to seeing it the actors feel like real people mm-hmm. and so I look at that and go oh awesome I can definitely play almost all the female roles in that show yeah there's not uh, you don't have to look a specific way or you know be like super in shape and able to do this crazy intense choreography. Like you don't have to do any of that. It's uh, mm-hmm. I, the thing I always compare it to is the Laramie project. Um, yes. It's somebody watched the Laramie project and said, what if we did this for nine 11 for the nine 11 story, but also had music. Yeah, but it works really well. So pivoting from a Tony loser to a Tony winner next year, all, I would almost guarantee this. Um, we have uh, announced casting for the Into the Woods revival, which has been moved. Um, uh-huh. We have some casting for it, and a lot of the same people are still doing this. Um and I'm excited. We do not get NPH. Neil Patrick Harris has bowed out. He's not no. going to continue with this. But 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 we get Brian Darcy James. We absolutely I am do. So excited to see Brian Darcy James as Baker. So I'm just gonna run through this. Like this is, if we thought it was a list of a who's who of Broadway before, like it certainly is now. It, Sarah Bareilles is still playing Baker's wife, and she's a bona fide theater kid at this point. I would imagine. Like oh yeah, she's she's earned this. Uh, Brian Darcy James is the Baker. Patina Miller is the witch, which is. I mean, we saw the clips from the first run of this revival. Incredible. Well, and Patina Miller was the witch in the Hollywood Bowl mm-hmm. production and was phenomenal. Stepping into Cinderella slippers is Philippa Sue. I can't wait. Oh I'm my gosh. so excited for that. Stupid uh, excited about that. Just so excited. And then keeping the um, double casting, Gavin Creel. Will be playing the wolf and Cinderella's prince. Hmm. Um, I think most of the rest of this cast is similar or the same. Um, Joshua Henry is stepping into Rapunzel's prince. That's right. Joshua Henry's going to play Rapunzel's prince. Uh, but this is like this. Ha- this wins best revival already, right? Like, I mean, it has to. It, it I like what else what else is gonna beat it yeah dedicated to Sondheim like come on well I think there's a couple of questions I think the first question is uh how many uh nominations does it get but also how <laughs> how many times they extend it because it's only there for an eight-week run 
Um, mm-hmm. It's set to open at the end of June uh, for an eight-week run at the St. James. So unless there's another show slated to go into the St. James after that, I would be surprised if this didn't get extended. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess we'll see. I don't know how I'm getting to New York City to see this, but... My friend Drew already has tickets. Like, the yeah. second they announced it, he bought tickets for it, and I'm insanely jealous. This feels like one of those, like, I don't want to say once in a lifetime because it's a revival, but it just feels yeah. like it's going to be a moment. And so rarely in theater can you see the moment coming. You know, you, right. you kind of have to wait until you're in it or opening night happens, and then everybody goes, yes, this is great. Or that's eh, not quite working, but this feels like a moment we can see coming. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm interested to see how they expand the production from its staged concert mm-hmm. form mm-hmm. to fully mounted. Yeah, fully mounting this will be interesting to see what they keep. Um, I do understand now why we haven't seen a full version of the uh uh initial uh-huh. staging yeah because they're moving it to broadway so we'll see what happens i'm sure this is something we are going to stay deeply in step with uh moving forward here oh i'm sure but i think we've talked enough about uh what's going on in new york city and let's talk about what's going on in toledo ohio uh so back to the lightning thief there's my segue yeah. how was that beautiful that was it was a little clunky but we'll accept it it's only our second episode i'll i'll get there i'll get better so the lightning thief um was as we already mentioned it was kind of affected by the pandemic uh and into closing but it was always kind of intended to be this youth theater show um this accessible um show that could be performed by fans of rick riordan's work did i say that right riordan Riordan, yeah. Riordan, Rick Riordan's Riordan. work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm only so familiar with all of it. Um, I have not gone back and watched the movie again now, uh, but I'm a don't, little tempted. Don't watch the movie. It's awful. When people were like, they made Percy Jackson into a musical, and I was like, yes. And they said, is it anything like the movie? And I said, no, because the movie was made in this era of like, Harry Potter was insanely popular and Twilight was insanely popular. And they're like, we need to find more children's books that we yeah. can adapt. And Hunger movies. Games, but, same time. But we're all very scared that it won't do well. And so we're just going to we're just going to commit to the first book of a bunch of series. And we're going to change the stories so that they can stand on their own in case it's not popular. But then they changed the stories so much that everybody who liked the books hated the movies, so all the movies flopped. It happened with Percy Jackson. It happened with The Golden Compass. It happened with Aragon. Like, it happened with all of these children's fantasy book series. I'm still not over Aragon, but we will we will talk about that some other time. <laughs> but what I love about the musical is that, yes, they still make quite a few changes to the book in terms of just kind of condensing the story and streamlining it. But what they get right are the characters. Mm -hmm. The people who wrote that musical understand who the four main characters are at their core. Percy, Grover, Annabeth, and Luke. They understand 
those four characters and they showcase that in the songs that they give them in the dialogue in the interactions that play out between everybody and so that is what makes this a great show for percy jackson fans and then the original production because it was it wasn't like a big theater putting it on it wasn't like the end goal is broadway the end goal was just to have something that existed in the world Mm -hmm. and so because of that as they were workshopping, like they really wanted to showcase kind of the magic of what theater can be when you don't have to think super literally, because this is a fantasy story about a kid who's got the power to control the ocean. Yeah, you can control the ocean. The Greek gods are real and his pen is a sword. His pen's a sword. There's there's furies, there's centaurs, there's, you know, there's all of these things that it is impossible to present in the hyper-realism of, like, 90s-era mega musicals on Broadway, right? So, like, we're not going to have an actual centaur on stage the same way we have an actual helicopter on stage for Miss Saigon because I can't find a centaur. Right. And so the way that the original production did this was so fascinating because they had this, like, piece of rolling scaffolding that they would just add things to and say, this is a bus, this is a motorcycle, Um, The whole cast was seven people and everybody played like 18 roles, you know, Uh at at one point in the show. So everybody's constantly like switching costumes. They're showing you all of the the ways that theater works. The original production, Percy Harnessing the Power of the Ocean, was like two leaf blowers with rolls of toilet paper on the end. And that's that's how he blasted That's pretty good, though. It was like drowning him in toilet paper. And so because that was the original concept of the show, it translates so easily and so beautifully to small theater companies like mine who don't have a lot of money (laughs) because I don't need to worry about like, how do I build a centaur body? I can literally just put a wig on the end of a dowel rod and have somebody hold it and stand behind the actor playing Chiron and follow him around. Yep. And they just acknowledge it. And the script is written in a way that it supports that. There are often yes. call-outs or there are um, specific dialogue uh, dialogue, or I don't know if they're... I haven't read it, so I don't know what is a scenic direction and what is a Cassie direction, but there was enough right. to it that I'm like, I can see how this was written this way and it's not just Cassie figuring out how to put Broadway in Northwest Ohio. Right, which I do have to do a lot, but this show, you know, made it easy. So I had an ensemble of 10 kids that I called my Monsters and Magic crew, and their job was just to go around and make all the magic happen. So all of our monsters were these big puppets, and when people died, it was members of this ensemble, like, pulling them away. Um, When Percy's got flying shoes that are trying to haul him into a pit, I just had three members of that that crew come out and, like, lift Percy up into the air mm-hmm. and be like, this is him, you know, being pulled into the pit. And so that, that was our interpretation was having that ensemble um, go around and just be all of the magic. Um, the show does not give you any explanation for how you're supposed to make this pen sword appear out of thin air. So I cast a seven year old girl as my sword Mm-hmm. Um, she had it in a sheath on her back and she just followed the trio around every time Percy needed it. He would just grab it from her and then she would grab it back at the end of the scene. Yeah, that worked, by the way. Hey, that worked. Good job. Thank you. That kid 
I swear to God, she knew the whole show better than anybody else on that stage. Probably. I mean, she was on stage the entire time. She didn't mm-hmm. leave. I don't know if she was there more than Percy was, but she was there a she lot. Was. <laughs> she was there a lot. Um, and yeah, she was she was riptide the sword. And it it worked beautifully. Um, and so it was me trying a bunch of stuff and being like, yep, this is going to work. And we used a lot of fabric for like the tidal wave at the end and mm-hmm. the toilet water that Percy throws at Clarice. And it was just like these kids running around with pieces of fabrics. And we're saying, hey, this is water. And we need you, the audience, to understand that that's what we're doing. And the audiences are like, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's what we're seeing. So at the end of the day, the audience knows they're walking into a youth theater production about a fantasy story. Like, so the yeah. audience has to be aware that they're suspending their disbelief. They're here to watch it, to enjoy it, have a good time. You know, this is, you know, we're not trying to, we're not trying to do Hamilton here. We're not trying to right. do, you know, some, something, an uber realistic drama, right? This isn't Tennessee Williams. Yeah. And I took a lot of kind of my conceptual inspiration from Julie Taymor. Mm-hmm. Um, I did my musical theater history class with Jeff Stevenson in B- at BGSU. Um, Great class. I did my... Great class. I took that yeah. and then I TA'd it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I did my my big like musical theater history director project for that class on Julie Taymor and The Lion King. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I remember that I learned in my research was... Julie Taymor had this vision and she was sitting down with the lighting designer at one point and he says, I figured out how to get the spotlight for the opening with the sun to mimic what you see in the movie. And Julie Taymor said, no, absolutely not. We are not using a light to make the sun. We are going to make a sun out of bamboo and silk that is attached to the fly line and gets hoisted like a curtain and opens that way because I want the audience to understand from the very first thing that they see that they are going to be asked throughout this entire production to use their imagination to accept what's happening on stage. Hey, turns out she was right about that. Yeah. And, and that's the only way the Lion King works. You can't put people in lion, like full body lion suits. Nope. That's called cats. (laughs) Yep. Um, but you're saying to the audience, like, hey, this is what this is going to look like. You are an active participant in making the magic of this show happen. Congratulations. Yeah, it's audience participation on a different level, too. Like, yeah. you know, more than just, hey, sit down and watch the story and enjoy it or cry or be invested or whatever. But actively watching is very different. It's very mm-hmm. different. It's always good to see students as they're learning realize that there's multiple ways to tell a story and tell a show. So it's always good to see them try different things. So with mm-hmm. your lightning thief being able to, you know, ask the audience to su- suspend their disbelief, to break the fourth wall a couple of times, to ask the if, if you're having an actor commit so hard to something that is clearly not there um you know there's a whole acting lesson there and an acting challenge there but it's a different headspace to be in when you go okay i'm gonna stand here and i'm gonna be a greek god in a hawaiian shirt and i'm 12 
Um, cool, great, everybody believes this, right? But the challenge is to there is for them to believe it, and you know, when you're 12, you can believe anything, and maybe just maybe the audience will go along on the journey, and that's just it's just beautiful. That's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, and I mean. It's what I do with most of the shows I direct because it's what I have to do. Um, we, I've said it before. I will say it again. We are poor. We are a very poor, small company. We do not have the budget to do any Disney anything mm-hmm. ever at any point. I've already been very upfront with the kids about that. Like Horizon is never going to do Beauty and the Beast or Little Mermaid or Newsies because we don't have the money to put mm-hmm. those shows on. Sure. And I so any show that I do, I don't have the money to put it on the same way a bigger, more established theater company would. So I introduce this style of performing and directing in every show that I take on. But it's nice to have a show where it's already built in for me. Sure. And I don't have to do quite as much work. Yeah. Because like Matilda's on the docket. I'm going to direct Matilda at some point in the next five years. Sure. Like that's just a given. Um, and I'm going to have to do the same thing with Matilda, but Matilda's not really built for me to do it. No. I'm going to be getting it's not. You're supposed to have real a giant, creative. giant wall of a gate wall with an alphabet on it and yeah. swings that drop from the ceiling. Yeah. And I'm I'm not going to be able to have kids on actual physical swings swinging out over the audience. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so I'm already going, I'm already faced with the reality that when I do that show, when I do Sound of Music, which I will probably do at some point in the future, when I do, you know, all of these musicals that I want to do, I'm going to have to find a way to minimalize them while still making them feel big. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest balance to try and strike. And so it was just really nice to work on a show that already kind of handed most of that to me. That it leans into it for you. It kind of reminds me of Peter yeah. and the Starcatcher a bit. Yes. And that idea of storybook theater or every mm-hmm. prop we could have, every prop we're going to use in this show is right here in this box and let's all believe together. And Yeah, I'm, and using the piece of rope to be like everything you could possibly need it to be. Yeah, it's everything we need it to be. We all understand this. We call it whatever we need it to call it. And then it is something else in five minutes. It's it's a really yeah. neat thing. And when it's done well and, well, and even more, when it's done specifically, it works. If you're lazy about it, it just seems like you're lazy and couldn't find another prop. But when it's done specifically mm-hmm. and... And everyone can believe it and buy into it. It's it's just a really neat thing about the theater world that, hey, at the end of the day, we're all up here on this stage playing pretend. Play pretend with us. Yeah. And that's my favorite thing about theater. And that's something that I honestly wish a little bit more of theater would embrace is like I don't have to like literally recreate this on stage for you. I can ask you as an audience member to use your imagination. Mm-hmm. And I should. If you want that, if you want it to be, you know, perfect down to the tiniest small detail, that's called a movie. Yes. Yeah. If that's what you want, that's called a movie. Very great. You should go watch those. This is a little different. 
It's called uh, the naturalism movement. Uh, it didn't last very long because it was really boring. It's very boring and very expensive. Getting yeah. all those details right. Well, I'm sure we will return to the lightning thief um, for the rest of Cassie's life because she's never going to stop talking about this show. Um, I'm speaking from experience. No, it was a good show. Yeah. So I am, this is not intended to start a tangent, but I am surprised and impressed that you somehow made it through talking about The Lightning Thief, a show about teenagers, without talking about 13. <laughs> so good job. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm sure we'll do we it another time. We were talking, Tom, so Thomas and Tara came to see the show. Because now you've brought it up, so I am going to tangent, and I am going to talk about 13. Okay. Um, but Thomas and Tara came to see the show, and they're old students of ours who graduated in 20 and 21. Probably and listening. And they were probably listening. I hope so. They were both in um, 13 the Musical when I did it a few years ago, and they were part of the core trio. And so then this show also has a core trio. Mm -hmm. And we were talking after the show about how the trios are very similar. They're both um, a girl and two boys, a smart girl and two dumb boys. And and so we kind of talked about the similarity of these two, like very smart girls having to like the goofy boy and the dumbest boy in school and having to like help them navigate mm -hmm. the world. So that yep. they don't get destroyed by it. Yep. And we're going to sing about it and put it on stage. It'll be great. Yes. Or at least it will be entertaining. That's all I'm going to say about 13. That's all she's going to say for about 13. For, yeah. For this episode. Is for the this episode. There. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for coming with us um, on this uh, trip beyond the ghost light. We haven't gotten any word about the name of the ghost we have not been given that uh, premonition. It has not come through to me yet, at least. No strange dreams, no. no strange feelings yet. I mean, listen, I have a ghost at the library. We have a ghost named Carmen who lives in our phone. Okay. Yeah. Is this a good ghost or a, a not so good ghost? Oh, Carmen can be a little mischievous. Carmen mostly just calls the phone and then you pick up and nobody's there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but one time, the way we learned Carmen's name is one time the phone rang and we answered it and there was just this voice that went, this is Carmen. Goodbye. And then hung up. Ooh. Spooky. So Carmen's the ghost who lives in our phone at the library. Um, but I haven't, I haven't received any direct communications from the ghost like ghost. But I'm yeah. confident there is one. I uh, believe that the ghost like ghost is uh, taking a snooze right now because we're in this strange space uh, between seasons of another path, getting ready to launch this show by the ghost light and imprinted echoes is about to end its first season to start another season. So I don't know. There's a lot of moving pieces right now and it'll be very interesting to see what the ghost decides to do. It's true. There have been some issues with the website, so maybe the ghost is doing something mm, there. Maybe. We look forward to getting to know our ghost better. Yes, we do. If you have some ideas out there, uh, beloved listener, about who or what our ghost is, it's about time that the Ghost Light Media Network had uh, had a proper ghost. And we're pretty we sure... We need some more. 
We, we're pretty sure they're with us now. But until we learn more about the ghost, I'm Cassie. And I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. <laughs> Bye. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.